You are listening to the Wool Academy podcast. This is episode number 54. Hello and welcome. My name is Elizabeth van Delden and once a week we talk to an industry expert from the wool industry supply chain from farm to fashion and beyond, delivering strategies and insights to be successful in wool and showcasing those beautiful stories wool has to tell. Today's guest is Stephen Russell. Stephen is a professor of textile materials and technology at the University of Leeds. He's a specialist in non-woven material technology and non-woven fabric manufacture. In our interview today, Stephen will talk especially about recycling and wool. Welcome Stephen, it is a pleasure to have you on the show today. How are you? Thank you, Elizabeth. I'm, I'm fine, thank you. It's a uh... I feel lucky already because it's not raining outside. Yes. <laughs> Based in the north of England, that's always a, a, a pleasure and a delight when we have a rest from the bad weather. That's true. It's also nice and sunny here in Germany, so <laughs> we feel lucky today. Um, yeah, I would like to ask you to just start talking about yourself and tell us about the work that you do. Thank you, Elizabeth. Yes, well, I'm Professor of Textile Materials and Technology at the University of Leeds. Um, Leeds, of course, has a very long history of activity in teaching and research in textiles, going right back uh, to 1874. And at that time, working very heavily uh, with, with the wool industry, and that's continued since. Um, in, my, in my role, I'm really focused on research. I do I do quite a lot of teaching as well, but my main interest is, is in research, working with um, a really diverse bunch of people, very multidisciplinary, with lots of interests across traditional textile technology all the way through to um, areas such as implantable medical devices and healthcare. So it, it's, it really is diverse. Um, and then in addition, I suppose I'm a bit of a strange academic because I'm also very interested in uh, commercial work as well. And um, I'm, I'm technical director of a university spin-out company called NIRI that was set up in 2005, um, which is, is really a, a consultancy company and a near-to-market um, product development service for, for the industry. So that's a rather long introduction, but... Um, <laughs> I have lots of things to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it was quite difficult to find a date for this interview. So I think um, it, we can say that you are a very busy man. And who would be your typical customers at your non-woven innovation and research in institute? It could be um, it could be a, a raw material supplier. It, it could be a manufacturer. It could be a converter of fabric into finished product. And... Most of the time, it's it's very very sensitive, very very uh, critical type work with very short deadlines. Um, it's fascinating because it's um, it's very different to academic research because it it, it needs to be done um, very quickly and uh, you need you need to make a quick decision and um, and and it potentially has a very big impact. Um, yeah, you probably always if, if you need don't to get have, it right. Yeah, and you have to have probably always some relation to uh, the bottom line. Of course, yeah. yes, of mm. course, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and today we're going to talk 
a lot about recycling. So maybe you could start by giving us an introduction to textile recycling. What all do we need to know about textile recycling? Well, I think I think the first thing to say is, like textiles generally, the recycling um, activity is, is a big industry. Um, it, it's a globally connected and globally operating industry too, with operations um, everywhere. And there are there are traditional centres of textile recycling in Europe and in uh, Asia in particular. But I think the first thing to, to be clear about is that it is an industry and that means um, that it, for it to operate it has to have markets and basically what what's happening is that clothing consumed in the developed world which could be Europe, North America, um, Asia and so on and, and elsewhere um, is either reused or recycled elsewhere and that's not necessarily in those same countries it, it, it's often exported to other places where the recycling or reuse takes place. So that collection, reuse and recycling inf infrastructure only exists if there's a market for the material that's being collected. Um, and whatever there is, there's an incentive to do the collection and to, and to keep the industry moving and developing. Um, and it's interesting really because uh, here in the UK, along with, I think, the USA and Germany, where the, the largest exporters of used textiles. Um, and in the UK, the, the biggest destinations are sub-Saharan Africa, other parts of the EU, actually, and also North Africa, too, and parts of the Middle East. Um, so th these, are, these are clothes that have had a first life. They're collected. This is uh, obviously all driven by... Um, by the by, the value of, of that product, and then it's exported to to different places to be reconsumed um, in a second life. Um, so I think the most important thing is is that to to have is to have in mind is that we we're talking about an industry. It uses very interesting technology, but the technology is no use if there's no market for the product. And luckily, there is a market, uh, although. Uh, it can be an up and down one, as as is often the case in textiles generally. And do, did you see? I mean, you just said it's an up and down market, but did you see over the recent years that there's a higher demand for recycling? Um, it, I think it, it it depends on the the, the products you're talking about. Um, you see, it, we also have an increasing volume of fast fashion clothing for example coming onto the market which in some areas has had an effect on the ability of clothes that are collected to be sold for reuse because the price points are, are similar um, so, so it really depends on uh, on on the on the product and on the particular um, fiber it contains and it, and it so it, it is it, it is a tricky situation and also um, what what the collectors would really like to have is the very high value um, clothing which isn't necessarily or, or definitely isn't the largest proportion of, of what's actually donated by consumers um, so it's it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting area and uh, 
it's difficult to generalize the market because of uh, as it is in in conventional textiles as well mm, okay and is there um i mean i don't know if you can maybe give us some numbers of how many textiles actually do get recycled recycled and also if there's a difference among the diff different fibers so you already said you know fast fashion has an impact but then maybe also is there a difference for fiber types um well there's a there's a difference in the in the commercial value um for different fiber types um i mean i think i think the first thing to say is that how much gets recycled just to answer that part of your question really depends on it really comes back to the consumer because unless that clothing is donated and not put in the the bin um honestly it it, it won't be recaptured for reuse or recycling um i i saw a recent article in in the uk i think it said that roughly three quarters of consumers had admitted to binning their discarded garments because they just didn't realize that if it was worn out um it, it could still be recycled and, and and it can so even even clothing that's completely worn out can still be recycled it can't be necessarily reused but it can be recycled and that's the key part how much we can recycle realistically depends on how much can be uh, collected and that depends fundamentally on consumers to um, donate those those products at the end of life and not put them in the domestic waste bin and you know realistically again about 95% of the textile material that's currently being landfilled be because it's been put in the bin could technically be recycled had it have been donated um, so that's another interesting thought that um, just that decision at the point of disposal makes such a massive difference in terms of the destiny of that fiber embodied in the fabric um, and what happens next in terms of in terms of actual amounts i think in the uk um, from memory you know i think i think we're consuming about just over a million tons of clothing per annum which is rising actually despite the economic situation and about 650,000 tons of that is collected so through donations so quite a quite a significant proportion is being um collected um and and that may be that's an estimate clearly because one of the issues in this area is is getting good data on what the statistics really are and it varies hugely from country to country so in europe the places like the uk are not so bad in elsewhere in the in the world those donation rates those collection rates are much lower and there's a lot more to do to to persuade uh consumers to donate and then for infrastructure to develop to to handle that donated material and i think the other issue i'll just mention too which i think also has an impact is you know collecting and donating alone i mentioned this a little earlier but i think it's important is fine but as as we as we recycle more material in the future we really need to develop a wider range of sustainable markets for the, for that material to go into um in order to ensure that that values remain sufficiently high to pay for the collection infrastructure so that's just another technical point you know if as i said before 
technically you can do you can do many more things than you can do commercially. <laughs> uh, if the price point's not right, it, it's not likely to happen. You talk about that you know there needs to be a lot of change on the one hand how things are collected and consumer mindsets and also recently a lot of um, like the European Union has talked a lot about circular economy um, so is circular economy just a fancy word for recycling or is there more to it as well it's definitely not a fancy word for recycling I, I, I mean the circular economy is uh, really a transformational way of looking at the way that we do things uh, it, it's a completely alternative approach to you know what's been the traditional linear economy of you know making stuff using stuff and then disposing of it without really worrying where it's going or what's happening to it um, and the whole point of this of course is to accept that textile fibers including wool are valuable resources and we need to keep them in use for as long as possible and extract as much value as we can from them at every stage um, you know but in fact if we if we're to make the economy truly circular then the material that we put into those to that economy needs to be recovered and um, and regenerated into real products at the end so you know that's where recycling and reuse comes comes in to make that possible to give the material additional service life opportunities so to get away from this idea that you know we we make something we use it get rid of it at the end of the first life and we're thinking before we even begin at the design stage how we can make a second life a third life a fourth life possible and and, and what we need to do early on to encourage and to enable that to happen Yeah, so I think just to summarize that, I mean, if you if you kind of if you condense that down to the the raw essentials, for that to really happen, it needs people to do things differently. It needs technology to be able to do it economically, and it needs the markets for the end products so that those service like those extra service lives can actually happen. But do you think these discussions that are happening around circular economy will then actually help get the ball rolling? Yes, certainly. Uh, I think there's been a huge amount of uh, progress in the last five years in particular. Um, organizations like the um, Ellen McCarthy, MacArthur Foundation have made um, this issue um, much more underst understood by the general public as well as by others in the industry and as a result people are now trying things that I don't think they would have otherwise tried and we now start to see tools that people can use to make this happen so as with many things it's not going to happen overnight it'll be a, a process of, of, of stepping rather than an immediate step change um, but I, I, th I think that way of thinking is pretty well embedded now and you know we're starting to see some real progress okay well thank you for giving us kind of this overview and introduction to textile recycling and you i once heard you say that wool or wool industry is actually one of the oldest circular economy within the textile industry can you tell us a little bit more about that thought 
Yes. Um, well, yes, I, I think um, I'm trying to remember where I said that, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> but I, but I, yes, I, you know, if you go back where I'm sitting now, just, I guess, 20 minutes from where I'm sitting now here in Leeds, um, it was around the early 1800s. I think it was 1813. There was a, a gentleman called Benjamin Law who was based in Batley just south of here, who developed a process of recycling wool rags into um, new textile products. And that process was that process was described eventually as the shoddy process. And then a few years later, the Mungo process was developed, but both had in common the technology to convert post-consumer textile clothing into fibre that could then be used to make clothing and related garments again. And at its height, I think by the mid-1850s, roughly 15,000 tonnes of that material, Mungo and Shoddy, was being sorted and processed into yarn not far from here. So that was a, a pretty big quantity a, a big a big proportion of the the wool industry's output from this region at that time contained what was effectively post-consumer waste wool and it was it was um, a big industry and uh, and it was part of why Yorkshire became famous um, for for textiles and then and then a similar activity developed uh, later um, commercially in, in northern Italy in Prato that still exists doing very similar things the industry generally the, the number of organizations doing that type of recycling has reduced considerably over the years but it, but it certainly hasn't died out and in, in, in fact there's a bit of a resurgence now that some of this know-how is being rediscovered um, so I, so I use that particular example because it was it, it wasn't craft activity, it wasn't very small scale, it was big industry. And we can learn a lot by um, looking back, just if not that long ago. Uh, looking back sometimes gives us really good, firm grounding to look forward. And that's one area where I think we can demonstrate turning post-consumer wool into valuable product with a commercial um, value in particular uh, is possible. <laughs> yeah, so learning from the past and updating it for today. Yes. Mm -hmm. And can you maybe take us through a typical circular life of wool that is first manufactured at, as virgin wool into a product and then reused and recycled? Yeah, sure. I mean, there are, there are really... Uh, two approaches to that in relation to wool. Um, one is closed loop recycling, which the Mungo example I just mentioned is a classic example of. And, and there what you're doing is um, taking post-consumer clothing. So assuming the garment has been donated, we can then effectively shred it back down into fiber and we can blend that recycled fiber with virgin fiber so let's say virgin wool 
in, to um, modulate the physical properties of the blend and then effectively put that blend through the same processes, let's say the, the woolen spinning system, to make yarn and then fabric again, which can go into articles of clothing or accessories with a relatively high economic value, depending on how the blend was originally put together. So that, this idea of closing the loop means that we are effectively putting that fibre back into a very similar product. The economic value, therefore, is um, relatively high. And then the other approach, uh, which is relevant to wool, in fact, at the moment, it's the biggest uh, recycled market for, for wool. A closed loop was, but now it's open loop. Um, and that's a process of, again, shredding the fibre down from its original garment form into loose fibre that can then be, uh, let's say, carded into a web and then made into uh, either spun products, but more, more usually into non-woven products, which are used in, in markets such as mattress insulator pads, um, other insulation products, where the values, the economic value is lower, but where the service life of the final product could be longer than the first life. So, you know, normally people keep their mattresses longer than they keep their wool socks. Um, well, I do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure about some of my students. I'd need to find out. But yeah. uh, that, that, that is... Uh, that's a very good example of how, from a circular economy perspective, you can keep the fibre in circulation for a lot longer than otherwise would have been possible. Um, not many people would instinctively think that the second life could be longer than the first. Um, and, and putting wool into mattress insulator pads over the springs to protect the layers above is a really good example of, of where that's done commercially and where it has been done commercially for many, many years. Uh, historically, it's mainly been to meet fire retardancy regulations, which, of course, wool helps those manufacturers to satisfy because of its inherent properties, its inherent physical properties, which are not destroyed through the recycling process. The fibre may be shortened, but the basic chemistry of the fibre remains the same and therefore its functionality can still be really very useful. Um, does wool lend itself quite well to the recycling and reuse process? Are its properties quite special in that regard? I think yes, in the sense that compared to uh, many other fibres, when you are recycling wool, um, the fibre length is relatively long to start with. So if there's a little bit of shortening during mechanical recycling, it's still possible to process the fibre later without losing most of it on the floor. So, that, so, so that's very useful. As I mentioned, the inherent properties of, the, of wool itself are, are not really hugely affected by the recycling process. So if you need fibre with um, good fire retardancy, if you need fibre with good inherent thermal insulation and so on, then you can still have it in a, in a recycled product. And I think also 
Um, I think the other thing to say is that with some other fibres, man-made fibres in particular, mechanical recycling can, le can lead to thermal damage uh, because of the, th the, th the thermoplasticity of, of some of those materials. And also at the end, the economic value of the recycled material might actually be um, uh, well, so low that the, the, the markets really become very small and, and therefore um, the demand for, for those sorts of fibres is less. And we're seeing other recycling processes emerge which, which could address that in the future using chemical methods, for example. And nowadays we also have a lot of blend, fiber blends, so wool with polyester or nylon, etc. How does that affect the recycling then? Well, blending is blending actually um, often is a is a problem for recyclers because uh, obviously with re most recycled materials, if you, the economic value of the recyclate is a is a function of knowing what you have and what the physical properties of that material is. So if you recycle metals, for example, the economic value of recycled metals isn't far away from the virgin price of the recycled metal because the recycling process doesn't um, greatly affect the physical properties of the material and therefore you can use it for similar things. In, in the case of in the case of textiles, it, it, it's more difficult because um, we do have a, an influence on the dimensions of the fibre during recycling. And with blending in particular, if we don't know what we're processing, if we don't, if we know it's a, you know, we, it's got cotton in, in there, it's got polyester in there, it's got a bit of wool in there, but we don't know what the proportions of each are, and we don't, we, we can't say that those proportions are consistent, then obviously you can't expect that material to have the same economic value or be able to be directed to the same markets. One of the advantages of the wool mark is, is that it indicates um, a very wool-rich composition. <laughs> and, and having 100% wool and being able to say it's 100% wool is very useful because for the reasons I mentioned earlier on. And how do these garments actually then get sorted? Is that all done currently by hand or are there also machines that can sort? Currently, it's, it's, it's mostly all done by hand and by very, very skilled people. Um, so you have conveyor belts of, uh, with clothing moving along with very skilled people picking and placing garments and, and, and sorting very often into hundreds of different grades based on uh, fiber composition, color, and other factors. There, there is work going on to automate sorting, and some of that work looks quite promising, and some of it has been installed commercially, but the vast majority of sorting in terms of the volume of garments moving through sorting operations is still done manually at the moment. And earlier you mentioned that um, there will be new technologies including more chemical recycling. Are there any other new technological developments that will help us in the future? 
Well, yes, I think I think if we think about the way garments are put together at the moment, um, you, might, you imagine you take a typical garment and you think, right, okay, I want to get the lining out of this fabric. I want to get the the outer fabric away from the other components. I want to get the metal zips out. I want to get the buttons off. Garments are, are actually quite complex because they're full of mixed materials and they've been deliberately designed not to come apart very easily. <laughs> so, um, well, in most cases. So I think that's one area where there has been a bit of activity around disassembly of garments. And obviously to make that economic, it has to be semi-automatic or automatic. So for example, um, uh, I've been working for example, there are others working in this area too, looking at solubilizing seams. And we've we've been using uh, microwave technology to rapidly degrade sewing threads within a few seconds to allow very easy separation of linings from outer fabrics or pockets from jackets to take brands off or to branding off or logos or emblems off or to drop zips and buttons off as well. And that's not just necessarily for recycling, but also to make it easier for garments to be reused. Um, it's difficult to, re to reuse a uniform if it's heavily branded. Uh, and rather than sending those uniforms to, in to shredding factories to be uh, made into fibre and be landfilled or recycled um, if you can remove the the emblem remove the motif remove the branding then the garment can potentially be resold and used again so that's one area and then as i mentioned uh, automatic sorting few groups looking at that using various techniques to distinguish between different fiber technique fiber types um, i think there's one using hyperspectral imaging, near-infrared, to, to identify polyester versus wool or cotton versus um, nylon, let's say. And then another area too, which I think is, is really interesting, is the use of RFID tagging, which is used um, by garment suppliers at the moment. But RFID tagging is now possible on flexible substrates and this could allow garments and their provenance to be better understood at the end of life to help direct them to recycling and reuse markets more, more effectively and that could have an influence on the way garments are sorted in the future um, because there would be smart technology on board in the label let's say that could be read on a, on a conveyor belt and then um, enable uh, rational sorting of garments uh, in addition perhaps to, to what's being done by hand at the moment. At least that will go on for a little while yet, I guess. Yeah, that would sound really exciting. I, I once wrote my master thesis on RFID, so I think that sounds really interesting. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and I think so far people have always just looked at the beginning of the supply chain of, you know, tracing garments, but then not much what once the garment is with the consumer and afterwards. So keeping that RFID 
chip or label inside of a garment would actually mm. have a lot of more value. But I would like to get, um, in the beginning, we already talked a little bit about the consumer and I would like to dig a little bit deeper into that topic. Um, how do you see, um, we have, you always talk, we need a market. So what does the market for, or the demand for recycled textiles and you know, clothing out of recycled textiles look like today? Is there a demand? <laughs> I think, I, well, I think this is, This is quite an interesting question because, um, you know, I think what we have to remember is that many of the products that we buy now already contain recycled material. They, many of them will contain post-industrial post waste. So this is fiber that's generated during the manufacturing process and then put back in uh, to the manufacturing process to make the virgin product. It, it's just that 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 doesn't appear on labels um it, it, it's just a kind of natural way of ensuring that manufacturing uh, is able to achieve high yield um, by by make, making sure it, it wastes as little as possible so I th one of the interesting questions around this is um you know and i'm sorry another another example is uh, polyester of course much of the polyester that we buy um contains recycled plastic bottles it's obviously from another source but it, it is it has a recycled origin so we're already using recycled material in first use first life product and i suppose the question is to, to what extent do we need to market the product effectively as recycled um, in some cases I guess that's that's useful commercially. In other cases, it might not be. So I, I'm really not um, a psychologist at all. Uh, but but I do wonder whether uh, I, I do I do think there's a, some there are some interesting questions to ask here. Some of them some of the um, some of this will come down to regulation, of course, because we have to be transparent about. What, what what is in our products it's very important um, but if if you ask me about markets for recycled materials then as i've said many of much of what we buy already has recycled content within it i think that there is an opportunity uh, also for recycled ranges to, to to develop so deliberately marketing and promoting very high recyclate content um, clearly there's, there's a market for that as well and we can see that happening already um, uh, by uh, various designers and, and through various brands as too but in the mass market area um, you know I think we need to have more discussions really about uh, the, the, the best way to grow recycled fiber content um, consistent with the needs of each market um, and consistent with the with the regulation that applies in each each particular territory yeah I think what you say is right that it always depends on the consumer segment in, within the market because I remember one presentation at an IWTO event where they had produced like a nice looking um, coat out of recycled materials but only once 
they told the consumers that it was made out of recycled, they actually stepped away from the garment. So, yeah. Um, and but then also I had an interview with Silvia Gambi from Cardato in Prato, and she also she observed that in the past, you know, recycled wool garments was really considered like rags and something dirty, but that they have seen a lot of mindset change that it was more and more val valued. So, yeah, I guess it depends on what kind of yeah garment it is, what kind of consumer you want to target, etc. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it is it is a tricky one uh, because even even the word shoddy, you know, sh shoddy has uh, fallen into use now as a kind of derogatory term for some for something that's not very good. So I think. You know the the words that we use and and the way that that it's presented are are also quite important uh, so that we don't um, if if you like impede the development that um, could could take place otherwise. Mm. But just today I saw Adidas um, presenting a sneaker that was made out of recycled plastic from the ocean. Yes. And I think also H and M always has some kind of recycled collection, like the con con conscious collection or something. So yeah, probably every brand needs to identify how and if they want to market recycled um, fabrics and garments. Excellent, Steve. Um, I think we had a really nice discussion about textile recycling, and maybe before we close, can you give us maybe a little bit an, of an outlook if Do you see any particular opportunities for wool and recycling? Yeah, I think I think one of the nice things that's been happening uh, in the last couple of years is because of the renewed interest in recycling. I, I, I think there's more dialogue now going on or starting um, between those the recycling and reuse supply chain brand owners and other manufacturers so i think you know for many many years my you know, I, i had the distinct impression talking to uh, many in the recycling industry that that, that you know, people had forgotten about them and they were struggling and they they just needed some a, a little bit of of uh, uh help in terms of for example the the design of products uh, a little bit of help in terms of the directing waste streams in an appropriate way so that they could get hold of some of the materials that they wanted. Um, so, so I think one positive thing, and, I, and, it, and it will continue, is this growing uh, relationship building between the recycling industry and the, the rest of the wool manufacturing industry for the, for the, for the sake of this conversation, which is, a, which is clearly a good thing. And I think that will... Uh, progressively mean that we focus more on the benefits and contributions of recycling and reuse to our industry and to us and to the circular economies that we're trying to build and less on the kind of negatives of uh, well we should be recycling more and reusing more and, and this slightly negative messaging which um, it isn't particularly helpful so with, without those dialogues It's going to be very difficult, I think, to, to, to make rapid progress and to identify new markets and to uh, increase the amount of uh, material recycled at the end of life. I think I see that as entirely positive. Um, so no longer is recycling kind of lurking in the shadows. Um, and the rediscoveries 
is, is not, um, if you like, for um, marketing flourish. It's for uh, it's because of a, a real sense of um, uh, purpose, trying to uh, improve the, uh, the the life cycle picture uh, of wool garments, and that, that can only be a good thing. Great, that's a very nice way of ending our discussion. Where can our listeners find out more about your work? Where should they go? Oh uh, well, be, well, uh, being an academic type person, I I can't help publishing things that I do. Um, so, that, so if you just go onto uh, onto the university website and uh, I I put things most stuff up there, and then with my colleagues uh, in the IWTO tag, we are. Um, publishing fairly frequently on some of these issues around recycling and reuse. Um, so th there's a, a couple of book chapters have come out quite recently on that topic. Um, and, and I think we'll continue to, to press that area. We, we are working very heavily to try and get much richer information, better data, more statistics on the activities within wool reuse and recycling um, in the major centres. And I think as we do that, we'll, we'll also be able to put out um, robust evidence about um, the impact it has on the full life cycle picture for a wool product and other products to other products beyond the first life. So, 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 so I think, um, yeah, just, Just keep your eye out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good that you publish things because then we can all read about them and apply whatever you found in our businesses. So I'll make yep. sure to link to all the things that you mentioned so that can pe people can find everything very easily. Well, yep. thank you so much, Steve. I wish you continued success with all your research and the important work that you're doing. And we'll stay in touch. Thank you, Elizabeth. Um, and... Uh, I'm so pleased that uh, we weren't interrupted by phones or knocks or on the door or <laughs> other noises. I was a bit worried. <laughs> so I think all the signs have worked, so that's great. <laughs> But nice to talk to you. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. Hopefully you enjoyed this interview with Stephen Russell. If you want to learn more about textile recycling as well as wool recycling, head on over to the show notes where you can find all the links that were mentioned in today's episode. Visit elizabethvandalden.com forward slash 054. Once again, elizabethvandalden.com forward slash 054. One quick tip for you today. I have put together a wool calendar 2018 as a free download on my website. The Wool Calendar 2018 is a document that includes all relevant wool dates, fairs and events throughout the year 2018 as far as they are already available. This calendar can help you plan your 2018 and get you prepared for your social media activities as well as your travel well in advance. Download the calendar over at elizabethvandalden.com forward slash wool minus industry minus calendar minus 2018. That is indeed a complicated link, so here it is once again. Visit elizabethvandalden.com forward slash wool minus industry minus calendar minus 2018. 
but I will also make it available on the homepage of my website so that it's much easier to find. Thanks for listening, talk to you next week and bye for now.